Yeah. So, Robert, have you seen these poll results? Uh, I, I have done, I think, yeah. So it, it looks like um, when people were asked when they think the coronavirus is basically going to go away and daily life and economic activity will return to normal, um, the, the earliest anyone specified was the fourth quarter of 2020, and just under half the people think it's the fourth quarter of 2020. And then another th almost 30%, 29.1% said first quarter of 2021. Then 12.7% said second quarter of 2021. And 8.9% said second half of 2021. And, you know, I'm not disputing that this is you know, uh, incorrect, but I mean, if, if, if this is right, you know, the world is in a terrible position. Well, yeah, they're quite optimistic, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, yeah. It's a, it's a difficult one. I, I don't know. For me, I think that we uh, turned the corner when uh, Dr. Fucci managed to obviously talk to a couple of his um, clinical psychologists uh, doctoral friends and worked out how to get the president to embrace saving lives so you know i think now that the u.s and the president are focused on saving lives i think we'll speed up the recovery so well let's let's hope it's, uh, let's hope it's good it's good and um then, how do you feel today, Hamish? You had the what was it the, the record highest move on uh, the Baltic Exchange in the last twenty four hours or something? Indeed, indeed. You know, if if only we uh, if only we hadn't covered so much Cape size exposure before that. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I think it's uh, it's on balance very good news, even with having covered a bunch of cape size exposure prior yeah um let's let's uh let's hope it sticks and then i feel, I feel very nervous at the moment i can't wait till uh you know I, my preference would have been that this got delayed till three thirty because William and Olivia's uh, school day finishes at three thirty, so I, I feel I feel very naked alone here. But I'm sure the Hamish, you, you'll be able to take me through this. So. Yeah, well, I, I have I have a uh, a third grader whose school day theoretically ends at three thirty as well. Yeah, who is uh, engaged in distance learning and. Uh, um, you know, then I have two college students who are going to be engaged in distance learning um, next week. So question for you and me, can you please expound upon the short-term events in Australia and Brazil that put downward pressure on ton-mile demand leading into 1Q20? Well, I mean, 
Brazil and Australia weren't doing too badly leading into 1Q20, as far as I could tell. Um, you know, I mean, the, the, the problem with ton mile demand is, is Brazil really, not Australia, because Brazil is, uh, is three times farther away. And, and what they've had are problems quite recently producing iron ore. Um, uh, there's certainly demand for it in China. Uh, and Australia is satisfying a lot of that demand. Um, and of course, that's a much shorter trip, which is why there's pressure on ton miles. But Robert, what would you have to say about that? Well, I'll go along with yours on that one, as we don't really, um, the, the, it, it's more, that's a question relevant for your capes, not for our stuff. Yeah. But, you know, certainly our product tankers didn't get affected by that. And then, I, I don't know if you see this, but then there's a question for you about uh, uh, Scorpio tankers calls. Oh, I'm not going to answer any of those. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So the, uh, the, the second poll question um, is an interesting question because it says regarding the IMO 2020 low sulfur regulations, was it the right decision to allow many options, which of course the poll did not answer. And then it said, which non-fossil fuel is likely to become the dominant fuel in shipping? with the choices being LNG, and of course LNG is at the moment basically a fossil fuel, although there are theoretically ways to make synthetic LNG as a non-fossil fuel. Then LPG, which is pretty much a fossil fuel, um, and I don't think anybody's intending to make synthetic LPG. Then ammonia, which is made from fossil fuels now, but could be made from hydrogen that could be made from electricity. Methane, which is pretty much LNG, uh, but I guess you could do biomethane, which would be bio LNG, and then biofuels. And people, 63% of people picked LNG, which in my view, doesn't really answer the question asked. Um, eight and a half picked LPG. And, you know, I think maybe LNG and LPG are probably the cleanest fuels you can access now, but they are fossil fuels now. And then 11.9% uh, picked ammonia, which if which is indeed and you know probably will be a non-fossil fuel and seems fairly practical and then uh, uh biofuels 13.6 percent and i think you you've got a couple of questions there i don't know if you can see them yeah i can yeah yeah Yeah, do we have a view on product rates? Was it may? Yeah, do you have a view on how product rates may go once product demand returns and the storage place stops? Okay. Hey, Robert, with current oil glut, how do you see the future crack spread once the oil deficit gets back to equilibrium? 
how do you see this impacting products okay and then there's a question for the both of us scrubber spreads have completely tumbled recently is this a temporary dislocation or is sub hundred dollars per ton scrubber spreads here to stay how does this impact your fleet strategies um from my point of view um you know, uh, scrubber spreads are down for two reasons. One is that oil prices are down and, and scrubber spreads are, you know, pretty much proportional to oil prices. Uh, that's one thing. But the other thing that's probably more important is that the demand for low sulfur transportation fuels like gasoline, diesel and jet fuel is way down. And so the refineries basically have no they have they don't suffer any pain making low sulfur ship fuel at the cost of making diesel and jet fuel because there's no demand for diesel and jet fuel when demand for diesel and jet fuel comes back with the coronavirus hopefully dissipating i think scrubber spreads will return um to some some figure you know well above a hundred dollars per ton that being said, they're below 100 a ton now, and at 100 a ton, you know, we're actually reasonably happy. Um, and um, yeah, we—I mean, yeah—we would add the on the scrubber spread is that you know, if the world in the future, um, you know, it's going to be supplied more by, you know, Russian or or Middle Eastern crude, then that's going to help the uh, spread too. So. Yeah, because R Russian and Middle Eastern crudes are pr produce a lot more heavy fuel oil when they're right. refined. Yeah. Um, I don't quite understand. It says, what do you say it is more attractive to prepay on some of the sting facilities today than last fall? what does that mean i don't understand that question either maybe the questioner can can um amplify on the question and and make it more clear pay down debt would you say it is more attractive to prepay on some of the sting facilities today than last fall Okay, he said, come back, pay down debt. Good. Yeah, I, I, you know, uh, frankly, paying down debt last fall generally um, was paying down debt that's that was a lot more expensive than it is today. Yeah. Um, you know, we've we've recently put in some relatively long-term swaps where we locked LIBOR at less than 70 basis points. And, you know, if we're wrong, um, we're not wrong by much. How long do you manage to go to him? I think we got it under 70 basis points for five years. That's fantastic. Yeah.
So there's a question about product storage. Oh, this is a good one. I like that one. Are you considering shifting some LRs to dirty either to trade or for storage? Not while the product rates are much higher than the crude rates. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. All right, we'll take that one. And uh, given the uncertainty of fuel alternatives going forward, if someone wanted to place a new building order today, what would they opt for? My own view is that uh, if somebody wanted to place a new building order today, they would look at the fuel situation and change their mind. Yeah. Uh, because basically, in the old days, if you ordered a new building that was legal at the time it was delivered, it would get grandfathered for its entire remaining useful life. And I think today, no one sensible has enough confidence in the political process um, to order a new building that is going to be, you know, not able to decarbonize when the world wants it to decarbonize. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think uh, I and everybody else I know actually are terrified about the technology available in new buildings today. And I think, you know, we would wait until it becomes clear what the decarbonization process is going to look like and what sort of fuel and engine technology we're going to have to have. And that's a few years away. I think new building orders are going to be very suppressed. I, I don't know what you think, Robert. No, I think they're going to be very suppressed. And, you know, I think that... Uh, you know, I mean, I think Norway's even regretting already at the moment their concerns about the E in ESG. And if we look at their uh, currency, for example, and um, I, I, I think it's kind of off the table. I, th I think that it's the same as dividends and maybe stock buybacks that the, the world going forward it, for certainly the short term, I think it's going to be much more. Let's get the world back to work, and let's um, you know, let's employ people. I think the CEOs generally are going to be rewarded from you know the big corporations by growth as opposed to equity buybacks or or giving back out dividends. And I think that you know where the energy prices and carbon energy prices are going to be, and where the world economy is going to be. You know, people are going to enjoy you know, at least the low gasoline prices, etc., for a bit. Yes, and then um... yeah. Do you want some salami, cucumbers, and cheese? Okay. And then there's a question about. Uh, you know, will the big bank's Poseidon principles be the majority financial guide in ship finance or will shipping companies, especially those who find the principles unpalatable for whatever reason, find alternatives to bank finance? You know, 
I think one can always find alternatives to bank finance, but um, bank finance is very efficient. And if you're able to get bank finance as well as any other kind of then uh, you are unable to get bank finance. So uh, companies that can borrow from banks that subscribe to the Poseidon principles, they're going to have a lower cost of capital, which is really what the Poseidon principles are trying to do. Yep. So do you look for opportunities to buy existing ships or are you focused 100% on debt repayment? I mean, we've stated for at least three quarters now that we're focused on deleverage. Um, you know, we have a tremendous, um, you know, fleet and we have no reason to go out and buy some more. Yeah, and I have to say we feel we feel the same way. I mean, we, we might do merger transactions that don't lever us up in any way, but we're not going to buy ships for cash. Uh, you have a nice fleet of LR1s, as Herbie and Hanson could say. It could be larger, it could be smaller, it could remain the same. What is your preference? Well, I think right now the nicest part of the fleet we have is the LR2s, and we have the largest fleet of those out of any that there is by any owner, and it's those vessels that are are really where the charterers are first coming to for storage, and they're the ones that are paying the the um, big dollars. And just like in, I mean, I've read a lot about this storage idea, and if we go back to two thousand and nine. Um, you know, there was a lot of products put in storage during that time. And on a deadweight basis, you could argue there was more products in storage than crude then. And the same, it's the same mathematics supply. If you can, it's just the same as why in crude, the VLCCs get fixed first is because they're the largest one. That's where the economies work first for storage. Yeah. So... And then uh, we have a question. Do you believe slow steaming is a good mechanism to achieve decarbonization? And, uh, you know, my view is that slow steaming is probably the only thing that will have really substantial impact on decarbonizing in the near term. Um, you know, given that ships burn fuel in proportion to the cube of the speed that they're traveling. So basically a 10% reduction in speed is more or less a 30% reduction in, in fuel burn per day. Um, you know, 20% reduction in speed is a, is a huge reduction in fuel burning. Um, you know, that frankly, that is, is, uh, is something I think we're going to be doing uh, a lot of. Um, let's see what other interesting questions do we have would it have been would it not have been much better if the IMO had mandated for everyone to use compliant fuel rather than allow both high and low sulfur fuels um, you know that's an interesting question. Um, 
the, the IMO obviously uh, thought about this question and uh, what they determined was that if you didn't allow heavy fuel oil to be burned with scrubbers, there would not, at the moment that there was a mandate for low sulfur fuel, there would not be enough low sulfur fuel to um, fuel the, the marine fleet so that scrubbers actually were a necessary part of any transition to um, a, a low sulfur regime. So, you know, my answer is no. I don't know if you agree, Robert. I agree with you. Yeah. I'll totally defer to you on that one. Pandemics often come in three waves, as did the influenza pandemic of 1917 to 19. Supposing the Wuhan virus has three waves, which shipping sector is likely to suffer the most damage and what is an optimal strategy to try to assure business continuity? You know, um, uh, it's pretty clear that the container shipping sector is the one that's suffering the most damage from COVID-19. Um, and, um, you know, luckily for Robert and myself, the uh, oil transportation and dry bulk commodity transportation seemed to suffer a lot less during this pandemic than container shipments. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the best strategy to assure business continuity is to be shipping dry bulk or oil or refined products. But I don't know if what your uh, view is on that, Robert. No, I just think we just, uh, you know, hope the uh, three waves get smaller and smaller or they, or they don't come at all. I think it would be, you know, I think ultimately I think you're correct. It will harm us less, but I still don't, I don't think it will be, you know, that pleasant if we just have a continued concern yeah. out of this that's stretching things out for, you know, two or three years. Yeah. Uh, so I think I've got one here which says, can you quickly outline the fleet-wide rates that are needed to pay Sting's 2020 and 2021 maturities and provide info on how much of a cushion realized rates from January 21st to today help you meet those obligations in the case that the market weakens once current chaos contangos subsides and market starts to work through storage. Okay, uh, so, you know, we're on public record that most of our, if you take the average, so the average rate required in the fleet to, you know, break even, so paying costs and, um, and amortize all the debt and the interest is just over, you know, around $17,500 a day. Um, and, um, you know, I think that, you know, it, it, that's more or less stayed stable despite, despite the interest rate fall. I, th I, I think the interest rate fall is, is going to compensate with, um, you know, perhaps increased crew costs. We will need to make sure our crew on board are looked after as well as those people ashore and there'll be some inefficiencies related to transferring them but i would sort of expect on balance around 17 and a half uh how much of a cushion realized rates from january 1st 
uh, we can't really give any more guidance than we've given. Obviously, the rates themselves, the rate structure themselves, have continued to improve over um, since the you know since the first quarter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, you know that's that's pretty good. Um, in case the market weakens once chaos contangos subsides and work through storage, yeah, we'd expect at some stage to work through storage where you know i would expect the first move obviously to be positive because it'll take a little time to untangle storage so i don't think this is a case where suddenly the world gets back to work and all of a sudden uh, product tanker rates collapse because people start working through storage it's more likely to you know be a bit of a blend during that period hmm. And then there's a question, how are you towards buybacks? At these prices, I would expect you to buy up every share you can. And, uh, you know, my answer is that I would love to have the dry powder to buy up every share I could at these prices. But the, the fact is, in this economic climate, we are doing everything we can to increase our cash balance and protect our cash because we might need it yeah i think it's the same i think uh, i think you know we're very similar hamish i think our first task in this market is to make sure we you know do as well as we can for the safety of our crew and our shore personnel and the safe operation of the ships and the second task is to you know, just work hard in the chartering departments, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think that, you know, right now, you know, the right thing to do on the balance sheet is to do anything else than to take in cash. You know, we can think about maximizing, you know, value at a later date. The, the best way to achieve long-term value right now is to focus on getting the actual operation correct and taking the cash in and, and, we, we will have plenty of opportunities later to for the maximization of value. And um, well, keep thinking. Let's see. Um, do we have any other interesting questions? Um, Do you face any risk of not getting paid from charters due to the current situation? And would you say oil prices are normalizing and shipping? This is maybe an interesting question. How would you say oil prices normalizing and shipping demand returning is the biggest factor in scrubber premiums coming back closer to January levels? Uh, my answer would be that oil prices normalizing is important, but probably even more important is demand for gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel uh, normalizing uh, because that, you know, if there's a big demand for gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel, then the refineries sulfur desulfurization capacity will be focused on desulfurizing the streams that become gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel, as opposed to the streams that become low sulfur marine fuel. Um, 
Yeah, I, look, I, I just think this is a, a, exactly what Hamish is saying. But, I'm, you know, we're fairly confident that when we get back to normalization, those spreads, you know, are going to widen. They'll widen because of demand and they have the potential to really widen as a result of the different types of crude that are coming, especially if we, as said before, if we get more crude from Saudi and Russia that produce more of the heavy stuff, against the light stuff, then that's going to, um, you know, that's going to create a bigger, a bigger spread. Yeah, um, that's absolutely right. The question related to do we, are we concerned about charters paying? I mean, the product market we're dealing, it's, it's, it is a really rare case. And I, I, I haven't had it in, in my career where a, a charterer on the tanker market hasn't paid what they owe in terms of freight or, or time charters. You really don't have the historical defaults in that market. Yeah, I mean, uh, you have some defaults in the dry market, but, you know, uh, this isn't the market where charterers default. The market, well, I mean, unless they're paying well above market, but it, you know, if somebody is chartering your ship in today's market, um, you know, they're not paying a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, jet fuel on storage vessels. How do market economics look like now that planes aren't flying so much? I think that the you know the product market has said before you know historically back in 2009 there was a lot of storage on products we've certainly started to we're probably running as usual 7 to 10 to 12 days behind the crude oil market the big Vs but we're certainly trading negotiating and have um concluded storage deals on on our product tankers and that's really been picking up and interest has really been picking up this week uh jet fuel is particularly interesting because it runs out of storage tanks because of its properties quickly on land and really can only be stored on good and modern product tankers at sea so we're watching that one very closely indeed <laughs> Hey, no. impressively sustainability report from Starbulk in Q4 19. Will Sting and Salt make a sustainability report as nice and wide-ranging as Starbulk? Uh, <laughs> I really apologize. I can't answer that question at all as I actually haven't read your sustainability report. Well, it's, it's really beautiful. I can imagine. I can beautiful. imagine. And it's, I will do. It seems a bit something that we should aspire to. So I will ring that after after that. Uh, TC Energy Corp today said it will proceed with the construction of the 1,210 Keystone crude pipeline. The line will carry 830,000 barrels um, where it will connect with the company's existing system to reach the U.S. Gulf Coast refiners. The pipeline is expected to enter service in 2023. How will this line affect oil markets and product tankers? I'm going to pass on that question because there are just too many variables to, by the time we get to 2023 at the moment, to really answer that one you know, properly rather than just flippantly. Um, 
How long cruise liners, container lines hold out before bankruptcies begin to occur? Hamish, do you have a view on that? Well, you know, I, I'm I'm glad I'm not running a cruise line right at this moment. You know, m most of the time I, I sort of wish I were running a cruise line, but this is not one of those times. Um, I have no idea how strong their balance sheets are, but their situation is is pretty dire as far as revenue and container lines you know the balance sheets aren't as strong as the cruise line balance sheets but the the revenues are a bit better i haven't got a clue <laughs> yeah can you come briefly about the technology aspects shipping companies are facing and what areas technology are having the most impact well right now we are enjoying the fact that technology has progressed to the point where we can you know, quite effectively manage our, both our companies and you know, wide dispersion across many, many miles um, you know, effectively with everybody working from home. Um, and fortunately, you know, I have the younger generation, as most of us do with us, and there may be a few, few interruptions, as you've seen, but generally the help I'm getting with that new technology is enabling me to do the things that I'm doing now, for example, yeah, and and then you know when it comes to decarbonization, um, you know the technology to monitor uh, engine fuel consumption, um, engine power output, um, you know ship position and speed, um, you know weather forecasting is allowing. Uh, shipping companies to optimize the performance of their ships in a way that hasn't been possible in the past and you know in a way that's probably going to become more and more important um, yeah I, I, I would agree with what Robert said I think both both technology applications are very important uh it says here, can you circle back and talk about 2009 storage on product tankers, how much that was done, etc. Uh, actually, a broking company called Braemar have a very, very detailed uh, graph on this, but it, it simply sort of says that in terms of actual million barrels, there was as much done on product tankers as there was done on crude at the beginning of this, but it actually took longer to unravel the product tanker storage than it did to unravel the crude storage, which is why I'm saying it doesn't necessarily mean that as soon as you get demand back that you start unraveling the, the storage immediately. That'll depend on pricing. What's also interesting at that time was there were less LR2s, so the storage itself was was in ratio more inefficient. But if you know, but we will try and see if we can put that graph up on our website and get permission from Braemar to do so. And you know that'll take a couple of days probably, but hopefully we'll be able to put it on our website to show you all. Uh, when we talk about ESG and green shipping, would we not buy the shares of a green shipping company fully environmentally compliant that may be carrying fossil fuels? It's this is this not ironic? 
Well, we both carry fossil fuels. Um, you know, I mean, if you're going to carry a fossil fuel, you basically still want to burn as little of the fossil fuel as possible. You know, the less the better. Yeah. So there, there are many things, and I would just add that there's many things in the world today that's ironic. You know, so yes. We'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, do you like the online format? Would you like to do such a Q&A on a more frequent basis? Let's say in between earnings calls. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. We do a lots of Q&A in between earnings calls. I'm sure Hamish does as well. You know, there are many. We have another. Uh, we actually have four. Um, you know, banking Q and A's set up in the for the next uh, ten days, and so we do many Q and A's in between earning calls. We think that's a good way to bring people up to date. I don't think that we necessarily need to make a formal one just hosted by the company, though. At the moment, yeah, I mean, we we uh, we have Q and A sessions with various investors and you know uh, sponsored sometimes by investment banks and sometimes just investors call us up and uh, we're happy to talk to them so it looks what like do you think, Mamish? that's about it for the day right looks like it looks like it thanks you everybody for your time and your interest and um, you know, we're both of us happy to be contacted by anybody at any time. And otherwise, everybody, please keep safe. Yeah. Thanks very much, everyone. Thank you.